to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you to take the microphone and share your best tips, triumphs, and inspirations. Whether you are still in search of a diagnosis or a longtime patient, we want to hear from you because we know how much your voices matter. So pull up a chair and have a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360 Minisode. This is Tiffany. I am your host, and let's go ahead and get started. So, Minisodes, what are Minisodes, you might be asking? Well, these are short segments of our talk show that we like to do to either showcase an important topic that is prevalent in our community right now or a show that focuses on a very specific project. And that's what we're going to do this time. And it's sort of going to tie into a a bigger initiative here. So the topic is patients, people living with autoimmune or autoinflammatory arthritis diseases who want to have their treatment protocols decided between them and their medical practitioners. Now, in the United States, this is where I live, we have a healthcare system that involves uh, insurance companies or companies who choose often for us what medications we will take based on cost savings. And this is a there's a variance of this in around the world. So, even though what I experience myself in the United States is still the same argument regardless where you live. Patients really want to work with their physicians to decide what the best treatment option is for their individual characteristics. Because let me tell you, even if we all have the same diagnosis, if it's lupus or if it's rheumatoid arthritis or if it's spondyloarthritis or if it's Sjogren's syndrome, I mean, I can go down the line, but the bottom line is we all have variants. We all have differences slightly in our experiences because we all have different bodies. We all have different onset reasons. So there's a lot of components that go into our journey. To say there's a one-size-fits-all therapy for any one of us is a stretch. So I'm bringing this topic up because it is based on a project that our organization, the International Foundation for AI Arthritis, completed in late 2015. And it's called the ethics of step therapy. And what step therapy is, is an insurance policy whereby patients must try a less costly treatment first and fail that before the insurance company will cover a more expensive treatment. So in other words, the patient is stepped up to a costlier treatment after failing the cheaper one, uh, thus the term step therapy. Now, again, the concept is much bigger of what I'm going to refer to here. The study was based on investigating this process or this protocol, but in the broader sense, it's really about, the findings were really about the ethical question surrounding any agency, any body, government, what have you, stepping in and determining what is best for the person living with the disease that is not the practicing physician. So that's the underlying theme here. So we went into this project thinking, oh, well, it's certainly going to be unethical. How, how, how could 
this be that somebody else could could step in and they must only care about money. And it was a really interesting conclusion. Essentially, we worked with a couple of bioethicists, really wonderful people who provided background information on the ethics perspective in regards to clinical principles and considerations that both insurance companies or just the let's say the group that is determining who is being prescribed what and the ethical principles that a physician must follow and essentially the company or agency in this case I'm going it's the insurance company so the insurance company is obligated to ensure that there is health care for all. They have a, a bucket, let's say, and in that bucket, we have to make the best decisions to ensure that there's enough money to pass around to all people. And what happens is our particular medications that are often used to treat our diseases fall in the very high price category. So if you're thinking of that bucket, and it's just got a big dollar sign on it, whatever that number is, that a really big portion comes from our medications. So often our medications are the ones that are the governing agency or the insurance company is trying to figure out how to make adjustments to. So they have to make sure that there is, it's called the principle of justice. So it concerns the equal access to care as well as a rational allocation of resources. And then there's the principle of beneficence, which essentially says that they need to provide the maximum clinical benefits and minimize clinical harms. There's a couple other, but those are the two that I think are most relevant here in this mini-sode. Now, they also explain to us the physician's ethics. They also have a duty to consider cost effectiveness. So they are supposed to practice medicine in the most cost-effective manner possible. They are expected not to prescribe the most expensive medication on market if there is something that is similar, if there is something that could be just as effective but costs the system less. So less is coming out of that big bucket. They are also ethically obligated to practice evidence-based medicine, which is very interesting because there's kind of a clause there. The evidence-based medicine is tempered by a clinical judgment about the unique characteristics of the individual patient. That is so important when we think about our diseases, which again, vary per individual. So what happened in this project? Why do I want to feature this project? Well, as I said, we went in thinking, how could anybody choose cost over what a patient and their doctor believe to be the most effective therapeutic agent? And you might be surprised at the answer. It was not cost that this big maze, this big puzzle pointed to. That didn't end up being the way to tackle this problem, this step therapy problem or access problem, we'll say, for a, a bigger, broader scope. But it was the research that is the true focus on how to address this problem. Let me, let me explain. Our organization is based on a mission that 
we facilitate conversations that ensure all patients have equal voices as stakeholders in solving problems. So in this case, myself and some others at our organization, we're patients, quote unquote, at the table. And I said, we had some bioethicists. We had one of my dear friends, Kathleen Artson, who is the president of Lupus and Allied Diseases Association. She was our public policy lead. And we had we met and had this conversation laying all of these issues on the table. And then I took them all home and I literally created what you might think of as like a, a police map on my wall where I had strings just mapped out to each different point, trying to connect the dots to figure out what this problem was. I had quotes from people for this process saying it saves our healthcare system money. I had the pros, I had the cons, I, I had all of the stakeholders and and their perspectives on this. And I think it was one point that I just sat there, maybe for a couple days, and I think I just kept staring at the wall talking to myself. It would have been a, a very interesting time to be a fly on the wall, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden, I had an aha moment. I said, wait a minute, how do these agencies or this care, again, this insurance company, how do they make the decision? And there's a, there's a lot that goes into this that we're not going to get into in this mini-sode. But the bottom line is they're making the decision based on the least costly option by citing credible research that proves safety and efficacy in typically clinical trials. That's the gold standard. And then I went, wait a minute, I and many people living with these diseases can't be in clinical trials because we are considered atypical. And atypical is a broad term because it can mean you have comorbidities, you have one more than one diagnosis, you don't present textbook. There's so many inclusion, exclusion criteria that goes into a clinical trial. And I, that's when it hit me. I looked at all of these strings that I had on the wall and I said, that's it. It was like a floodgate opened. And I said, so these companies are basing their decisions on the safety and efficacy of a product that tested somewhat equally to others in the same class or a similar class, but that data is only based on a very small patient population where it's supposed to be, quote unquote, the general patient population. But in reality, it's only a small portion. When that happens, it's very likely that I or others would not react the same as the people who were allowed in the trial. And if that were the case, then it should, by ethical standards, go back to the ethical onus of the doctor to treat to the individual characteristic of the patient if they have reason to believe that based on our individual presentation, that we would respond better to that treatment. And what's so cool, I think, about that is it took a patient's experience of not being able to be in a trial to start to unravel this puzzle. So what's next? Well, we published this paper, but not in any kind of medical journal because, let's face it, we, we're not medical people. So we did publish it as a white paper on our website. And there have been several organizations who have cited it to help move along arguments with step therapy. And for that, we're very happy because that is the point. We want people to reference this. But we're not done with our work. 
we concluded that if there was research present to demonstrate elevated efficacy in subpopulations or atypical patients, then that treating practitioner, ethically bound to treat based on a patient's individual characteristics, should be able to override a recommendation if the patient is not representative of a traditional patient that is diagnosed with the same condition. And so what are we doing about that? Well, in addition to joining forces with other organizations to fight the battle for access, um, one in particular, I'll give a call out to Let My Doctors Decide as a U.S.-based coalition started by the American Autoimmune and Related Diseases Association, or ARDA for short. We are on the advisory task force, one of the original members asked to, to unite on this. And it is a national partnership of leaders across healthcare working in support of that one simple goal, that treatment decisions should always be made by patients and trusted healthcare professionals, period. So in addition to that work, we have a couple projects that we are continuing this as we think, hey, if there's got to be more research on the atypical patient or the subgroups, which is why SIDOT, our organization, is so invested in precision medicine, we need to do the work we can to get the data to show safety and efficacy in different subgroups. I mean, that that would be the best case scenario. Now, we know that clinical trials uh, are on their way for precision medicine and that clinical trials, that is the gold standard of research. But there is another way to collect research, and that is from monitoring post-markets. Post-market surveillance is the term we're going with. So we have partnered with Forward Data Bank, formerly the National Data Bank for Rheumatic Diseases, but they are an international uh, data bank. And they have teamed with us for our A Community Team Part 2 project where we are working to understand those subgroups. And then from there, we hope to build enough information to promote research on those individual groups. As we do know that, I mean, clinical trials are going to cost, a, would cost a lot. And while we are preparing for those, aka precision medicine, we want to make sure that we're taking that from, from both sides. We're taking it from both ends, the the clinical trial and the post-market surveillance. And to be honest, it's in particularly in the United States, this step therapy protocol, it's been something that's been since the 1980s. So it's a little outdated. And as we usher into this era of precision medicine and patient-focused research and patient-centric medicine, the protocols really just must be revolutionized to keep pace with biomedical innovation, and ensure that ethical responsibilities are being met. So that's the work that we're doing. We wanted to tell you a little bit about it. And if you are a person who are living with these diseases and you think that, hey, I should be able to make these decisions with my doctor, well, we want to hear from you. So tell us your story. Send us an email at podcast at AIarthritis.org. You can message us on any of our social media platforms at IFAIarthritis. And you can tune in to our Facebook page at IFAIarthritis. And we will be talking about this topic more as we do with all of our episodes. And then finally, if you are a person living with these diseases or you're a parent, you could also go to our new site, our sister site for this podcast, which is AIarthritisvoices.org. 
we are opening that up and there will be private conversations about this topic as well. So we need all voices at the table to ensure that we can solve these problems of tomorrow. Patience, it's your turn. Pull up a seat, join the conversation. Doesn't matter where in the world you live. This is an issue regardless if you call it step therapy or something else. Help us shape the stories of tomorrow by sharing your story today. Thank you for joining me. Pull up a chair. It's your turn. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead the discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org.